Welcome to Deeply Disturbing Things. The podcast. I'm Macy. And I'm Naomi. And we're two anxious counselors who like to talk about deeply disturbing things. Put some earmuffs on the children and let's get into it. Hi. Cheers. Cheers. We're not both in the podcast recording studio, but we're making do. We are making do's. Do's. <laughs> do's and do's. Do's and do's. Um, yeah, I think I actually get to go first today. I don't know if there's do. anything else you wanted to Another do. Say. No, let's do all the do's. Anything else you want to do, do? <laughs> no, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> so, I, well, let's just dive in then. Um, I'm going to talk about something that sounds terrifying. It actually happened in California. So you, you may know about this and oh it happened gosh. in, it happened in 1976. I don't know. I'm doing a historical thing too. When was your, or so, okay. How old? 1976. How old were you? I was five. Okay. You could have been one was of I the involved? Main victims. Is this about this. me? <laughs> <laughs> this may have disclosed too much too fast. Um, no. So story of my life. We're going to talk about the 1976 Chowchilla kidnapping. Oh, I know all about this. This was near where I lived. I I was hoping. I was like, oh, this is California. She'll probably be able to like. This could have happened to me. I could have been one of those kids. It was ages five to fourteen. This was the U.S.'s largest mass kidnapping that we've ever had. So happy you're talking about this. Um, like when I re- found out about this, I was like, what, <laughs> how does this even happen? Um, but it did. So for the folks that don't know what we're talking about, I'll give a little, a little background here. So, uh, this was the abduction of a school bus driver and 26 children ages five to 14 in Cho. It, it, is it, am I pronouncing that right? Chowchilla? I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. California. And this was uh, July 15th, 1976. So the kidnappers held their captives in a box truck buried in a quarry in Livermore, California. Which is it, right over the hill from where my mom lives right now. <laughs> their whole, she lives in Castro Valley right now. Their whole plan was to try to get a ransom for the return of the kids and the bus driver. They spent about 16 hours underground uh, the top of the truck was beginning to cave in. The driver and the children actually ended up digging themselves out. So I'm going to go into some of the details about this. But why this is really relevant right now is this week, the third biggest person involved, Frederick Newhall Woods, got parole. Oh. After being denied parole 19 other times. All right. He's out. He's out. So let's see if he's rehabilitated. Let's see. Okay, so and and so there's three individuals involved: James, Richard, and Frederick. Um, James and Richard are brothers, and then Frederick is the kind of the if you wanted to have a mastermind, he was probably the mastermind. He recruited the brothers. Um, they were all in their like 24 to late 20s age range when this happened Hmm. so around 4 p.m on july 15th school bus driver frank edward or called him ed was driving 26 students 
of Dairyland Elementary School, home from a summer class trip to the Ch uh, Chowchilla Fairground swimming pool, which all sounds great. Like my child mind would be so excited, like nothing, like what, what bad is going to happen? When it's so hot in Livermore, like it's hot. Is it? Yeah. So then all of a sudden a van pulls in front and blocks the road ahead of the bus. So Ray stops the bus. He was confronted by three armed men with the, the nylon stockings over their faces. Oh, they that, that classic burglar. Classic, classic. One of the men held a gun to Ray while another drove the bus and the third man followed in the van. So the kidnappers ended up hiding the bus in Berenda Slough, which is like a shallow branch of the Chowchilla River. And they had a second van there like parked and waiting are you putting nylons over your face? I've never done this. I just want to see what it looks like. Do I, I look mean, like I'm... a scary kidnapper? Those are fishnets, first of all, which means I can still see your face. You need, like, it's the tight nylons that, like, smusher, smusher uh, features. I don't have any. I don't, I don't ascribe to the control top the method. Control top, bottom, <laughs> mid. I like to be uncontrolled <laughs> in my top. <laughs> same okay <laughs> i definitely don't put it on my face that's for sure i've never done that me I neither accomplished yeah so okay so they hid hit it in the river they had a different van they're waiting they did again another classic i feel like a lot of the classic stereotypes may come from this so they had the van and the back window so the windows they um had painted black on the inside right so like the blacked out windows classic trimo van uh-huh the interiors were reinforced with paneling and ray and the children were forced into the two vans at gunpoint and then were driven for 11 hours what i know and this is because you're saying that those places are pretty close right no, oh, I don't know where Chowchilla is. I know, I know where uh, Livermore is. Okay, okay, okay. So they drove for 11 hours before being taken to that quarry. So they were okay. 11 hours in the car, or in the van. Um, That's a long time. It is. So in the early morning of July 16th, then, the kidnappers then forced the victims to climb down a ladder into a buried moving truck that they had stocked with a small amount of food and water and mattresses. So I'm going to show you just because I can. This took an, a lot of planning and foresight to bury a truck. It did. A lot of planning. A lot. Like, of I want to know how long were they planning this? Um, I mean, it was planned. It, it was. Yeah. Okay. I don't know where Chowchilla is too. Can you see that? Uh... Yes. Okay. Do you see the van? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So the weight of the dirt was crushing the top yeah. of it? Yeah. The, well, and so there was actually an opening on the top because that's how they had the ladder for them to go into it. Um, and then they had covered it with like steel reinforcement to try to block it. And then the, the dirt was piled on top. It looks kind of like a horse trailer. Yeah. Kind of looks that way. Um, I was about to say, I thought I had a better picture of the front, but here's the inside of it. You can see how the iron bars were all bent down from the weight, but just piles of mattresses, two, two poop spots. Oh, is that what that is? 
I would assume. I don't know. They're boxes. I always wonder. I mean, that's where my mind goes immediately. Like, how are people peeing and pooping? Mm -hmm. It looks like they put like thought into that (laughs) a little bit, at least. Um, And then um, here's one of them. I think there's a lot of planning in this. Yeah. Here's the truck. Um, Oh, and the the two brothers. um, There was some connection with this quarry site. So they may have had access, obviously, to, to get them in there. This is them pulling the truck out, finishing to bury, unbury it initially, um, finding stuff in the truck, parents waiting to figure out what's happening with their kids. Okay. So there's that. Let me bounce back now. Well, I'm confused. I just looked up Chowchilla. Okay. And it's not 11 hours away from Livermore. Were they just driving in circles to confuse the I kids? Think, think, well, yeah. And there was a school bus driver in there too. So they're probably trying to make it where they don't know where they are. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of what I assumed when I It's like before it. Fresno and Fresno is kind of like halfway-ish between San Francisco and LA, which is like six hour drive altogether. Got so they it. probably were just driving in circles to create confusion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like blindfolding somebody and spinning them up before you make them pin the tail on the donkey or hit She's the pinata pin the tail on the donkey yeah you know that game it's a donkey or a donkey whatever you want to pin a tail on <laughs> all right ray and the so the bus driver and the older children um started to stack the mattresses so they could try to reach the top of the truck oh, smart like why are they kidnappers giving them stuff to climb up on that right. i mean like part of it seems like really well planned and then part of it seems super hokey super stupid um but again this whole thing was about they wanted a five million dollar ransom so like their intent wasn't like i enjoy murdering children it was they wanted money um so they needed to keep them alive yeah yeah so hence the food and the pooping mm-hmm. so after um hours it took them finally, they did break through a hundred pounds worth of weight from metal and dirt. Um, and Ray and the oldest boy, 14 year old, Michael Marshall actually were able to wedge the lid open with a piece of wood and moved, um, different things around. Then they dug away the remainder of the debris that blocked the entrance. So it had been at this point about 16 hours since they had entered the truck. They did all exit and leave the truck unharmed overall some cuts bruises things like that but um no no deaths or major injuries so the kidnappers should have put more dirt on top or rocks or something i mean not that i want to help them out killing kids but like yeah they didn't see that they'd be able to break out I, I don't think they they thought up. <laughs> I mean, the kids go down, they stay down. And some of the verbiage <laughs> that I, I got um, from them was that they picked kids from, like, they said that there was, they wanted a big enough sum that they had to get a lot of kids, money-wise, um, and that they picked kids because kids will just do what they're told. Well, not 14-year-olds. No, and not when you have a school bus driver who's like, F this, I'm not staying in a buried truck. <laughs> These children are Oh, they put me. The, the adult in there too? Yes, the, the school bus driver was in there with them. So many errors. <laughs> right. 
I mean, if it was a bunch of three-year-olds who dumped in there, yeah, they're never going to reach the roof. No. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about the... Um, Though I the, can see Stella eventually figuring out how to stack some mattresses. <laughs> and then jumping off them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so arrests and convictions here. So um, the quarry's owner's son, the 24-year-old Woods, is the one who just got paroled. He was under suspicion kind of right away because he had keys to the quarry. Um, he also had previously been convicted of motor vehicle theft uh, where he's on probation. There was a warrant um, for uh, the estate of his, his dad. Police had recovered guns, um, the, the ransom note, uh, they, but all three of the men had fled. Um, the two of them ended up um, one got ca like captured in British Columbia up in Canada. Uh, and then James had been captured earlier in that same day in Menlo Park in California. And then Richard ended up turning himself into authorities eight days after the kidnapping. So like it kind of crumbled apart pretty quick. Once, Did you they know. even deliver the ransom note? Did that even happen? So what I loved <laughs> when I read this that made this just like a little bit different from other things I've heard. So they they were they needed to call in the ransom. That was the plan. They were going to call in the ransom to demand the five million dollars. However, the phone lines into the town were all blocked from worried parents calling the police station, so they couldn't get a connected line which i thought was hilarious <laughs> i'm glad no kids died so we can laugh at this but i mean it's a right. little bit like bumbling home alone bad guys you know yeah and it's like just how like one thing off could have could have killed a bunch of kids i mean yeah what if they didn't get out and they couldn't get the call through and the kids are in there longer than the food and something happens to the bad guys yeah, exactly. Like, so there's ways this could have gone really bad. Um, oh, but yeah, it kind of it kind of went, I mean, obviously traumatic for the kids involved. Um, yes. And, and the claustrophobia, I mean, I would have been freaking out. And they actually did a research study. I'll talk about that in a little bit with the kids who, who are now adults um, and the impact that this had on them, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. So uh, anyways, it, they, they couldn't get the call in. Um, they went at some point, went to sleep on July 16th, woke up late that night to television news reports informing them that their victims had freed themselves and were safe. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah oh oops so they all pled guilty to kidnapping for ransom and robbery but they refused to plead guilty to infliction of bodily harm as the conviction on that count um con like together with kidnapping was a mandatory life sentence without oh. possibility of parole um, they were tried on the bodily harm. However, they that was overturned because they said that the bruises and cuts weren't sufficient enough to meet that standard under the law, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so they were they were all sentenced to life with the possibility of parole. So they didn't um, take into account mental harm or anguish. It was just physical. Yes. yes yeah. yeah. And. 
Richard was released in 2012. James was in 2015. And then just now um, was the, the last of them Woods, the last name Woods. Um, Being buried alive. That, that's going to affect some kids. That would affect me as an adult. So in 2019, Woods was denied parole for the 19th time. So just in 2019, he was denied for the 19th time. Over the years, reasons given were for the, like, he would just continue to minimize the crime. Um, He would, had possession of contraband in his cell, like pornography, cell phones, things like that. And in 2016, a workers' compensation lawsuit filed against Wood revealed he had been running several businesses, including a gold mine and a car dealership from behind bars without notifying anybody. A gold mine, you say? A gold mine, I say. Uh, He's like an heir to two wealthy California families, the Newhalls and the Woodses. So he inherited a big trust. So he actually has like a lot of money. Um, and that's what he said. He's like, I don't, I didn't need the money. I wanted the money. Greedy bastard. Yeah. So he inherited a trust fund from his parents that was described in one court filing as being worth a hundred million dollars. Um, about 113 million in 2021. And he's been married three times while in prison. He purchased a mansion about 30 minutes away from the prison. Oh. Keep it close. Right. (laughs) Close to the vest. So he's obviously not struggling at all. (laughs) So he still gets to get that money. What was that? He still gets the money? The inheritance? Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, or else it went into things like if he has a mansion, he's obviously doing okay enough to have a mansion. So the parents didn't feel strongly enough about this to disinherit him. No, that didn't come up at all. So I'm not sure what their feelings were about it. He sounds honestly like an entitled rich kid that got away with too much. Do you have a in, picture of him? In Back my in opinion. I do. I'll show you in just a second. Hold on one okay. second. Hold on. Are you having technology issues? I just wanted to plug in so my headset wouldn't die on me. Um, okay, so... Yeah. When he was recommended for parole in 2022, the California governor urged them to reconsider, but because it wasn't a murder charge, he couldn't deny it from happening. So that's part of how it happened. Okay, so let me show you, I'll show you the picture real quick of of them back in the day. I have all three of them here. I just want to see if he looks like an entitled trust fund kid so he's the one on the far right is um so you have frederick wood james schoenfield and richard schoenfield can you see the picture yeah so the one that got all the money that's the one on the right um no sorry left to right yeah um because he was the older i believe i think he was 20 he looks a little older he has a mustache Wait, hold on. Let me make sure I have this right. So no, he was 20. Woods was 24 and the Schoenfields were 24 and 22. So they're all actually like really similar, which is weird because he looks like he's in his 40s to it's me. It's a mustache. It is. It's something his hairline too. They it's all, an unfortunate hairline. It's an unfortunate hairline. I mean, age. bald is beautiful. but It is. 
you know, sometimes you want to keep it going until you're 30. That's yeah. not happening for Fred. So you can kind of see the two on the right there have similar hair coloring. So I'm assuming they're, assuming they're the brothers. The ginger brothers. Um, Here, and I'll show you really quick the uh, him now. Oh, mustache gone. Mustache gone. Hair almost gone. Hair but, almost gone. But not completely. But, no, but so he's 70 years alive old. around the rim. Yep, 70 years old now, keeping it alive around the rim. <laughs> Just the way we like it. Okay. So let's talk about the impact on um like just what happened after. So Ed received a California, the school bus driver received California School Employees Association like out, um, citation for outstanding community service. He did pass away in 2012, but he he did help save those kids because yes, the 14 year old help helped, but um, it does sound like he was the the big part in and them. He's getting the one free. that thought of it, and the 14 year old was the one nimble enough. To be able to helping, yeah, get up there physically, carry it out. In 2015, the Sports and Leisure Park in in the town was renamed the Edward Ray Park, and every February 26 was declared Edward Ray Day in Chowchilla, which I thought was cute. Edward Ray Day. Um, a study found that the kidnapped children suffered from panic attacks, nightmares involving kidnapping and death, and personality changes. Many developed fears of things like cars the dark, the wind, the kitchen, which is interesting, mice, dogs, and hippies. Well, fears generalize. I mean, they do. They do. Look at me. It started with an earthquake mm -hmm. and, and now I'm afraid to go through a car wash with a cracked windshield. I mean, you should probably be afraid of that. <laughs> I know how big they're cracking your windshield. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and then, um, one one of the kids as an adult shot a Japanese tourist with a BB gun when the tourist car broke down in front of his home, like as a kind of like a trauma response. Um, many of the children continue to report symptoms of trauma at least 25 years after the kidnapping, including substance abuse, depression, and a number of those kids have been imprisoned for, quote, doing something controlling to somebody else. Mm, reenacting yeah and what was learned from the after effects suffered by the kidnapped children has helped since guide some trauma treatment of young uh young victims of trauma or young survivors of trauma yeah i was uh, wondering what they did to try to stave off some of those trauma yeah responses. so what they're saying is that like this research kind of led to some more common methods of like counseling and being able to get them help um instead of just letting them grow out of it <laughs> I don't know how they handled that in the yeah. 70s but maybe that was the approach uh so in 2016 the 25 surviving kidnapped children actually settled a lawsuit um they had filed against the kidnappers the money they received was paid out by Frederick Woods Trust Fund and although the exact settlement was not disclosed one survivor stated they had received enough to pay for some serious therapy but not enough for a house they wanted a house. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, it's They probably couldn't disclose. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm curious about your thoughts about this because, yes, no children, the whole thing is like no children died. 
So how long did the did the one fella serve then? 19 years? Is that what you said? 30. 30, 30 years. years. Yeah. I mean, I I do think that's fair since nobody mm-hmm. died. And, the, and, and there was a, a chunk of your life just gone. And there was a couple of the victims who were um, advocates for having him be released. Um, mm-hmm. He had said that he was, you know, young and impulsive at the time and just was greedy and wanted money. I mean, 24. Um, yeah to me the like in prison stuff like it just probably speaks to his personality a bit um of being greedy and wanting more well and he's able to step out of prison into a mansion so it's not like some people that you know spend a long time in prison and they're really coming out and starting from scratch yeah and and having to just really find themselves all together so that part it kind of seems like a cheat and they did say that, like, the reason, part of the reason they let him out was because of his, like, change in disposition. But it, it's, that part sounds a little fishy to me, just because in 2019, they denied him. That was only, like, two years ago. So, um, I don't know, well, maybe a lot can cases, happen. We've covered, it's the, the victim impact statements that mm-hmm. keep somebody in. Yeah. Yeah. And, so when that fizzles away. Yeah. So maybe some of the victims didn't submit a statement this recent Mm -hmm. year and that was part of it yeah I mean talk about persistent 19 times like he that means he he appealed that many times and that's not an easy process from being inside and which probably means again if you're from wealthy parents they're pushing on the outside too to get him out the whole time so I I have to believe people can change like I can't be in our field and not believe mm-hmm. that. I would I would a hundred percent change that statement if any of the children had died, intended or not, um, yeah, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. But it was for fortuitous fortuitous <laughs> enough that they didn't for everybody's sake. Yeah, I mean it makes me think of that one case that I covered, that Staten Island person where I don't think there was any evidence that he killed any of those kids but did did he get the death penalty i'm gonna have to look that up yeah look it up i don't remember what what you said about that and i just i've never heard of the idea of like i'm gonna we're gonna bury them (laughs) so you don't know where they're at um like in a whole bus full of them There was, right. a, they, they held him um, initially like in the local jail and like there's pictures of where people were throwing rocks and stuff through the windows because their parents were so angry. Yeah. Yeah. Andre Rand. That was, yes, that was the case. He was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. I believe he's was, is still in there. So 25 years to life means that there's possible. Is there a possibility for parole then? Well, there must that was be. 1988. My birth um, year. Oh, he would have been eligible for parole in 2008 okay. if not convicted of a second ki- kidnapping. So he was the real life cropsy. That's mm. that was a topic that I did a while back. But um, I, I don't yeah. believe there was any specific evidence that he killed the girls and so that was kind of something I wrestled with with that yeah and they like an extreme sentence based on possibly some they didn't say that that was the full reason that he didn't um so maybe 
maybe like this was the one and only time he was young, impulsive, greedy, blah, blah, blah. 30 yeah, I years think prior in records come into case too. Right? Yeah. Don't they consider that as well? Okay. Yeah. So like um, maybe having this be, that be his second time they lost faith in him. Recovering. When did he get out? When, how long has he been free? It was like the 19th or something of August. Oh, just like, like five days. This, yeah, like this <laughs> four this, days. <laughs> this week he was. Okay, got, well, let's. Uh, that's how I heard see. about it. Was I saw that and I was like, "What? A school bus of children got buried? I had no idea." Let's see. I mean, I hope for the best. Me too. I mean, he's old now. That was one of the things. Like, he's an old man now like the last thing he's gonna do is go bury children for a ransom I again know. remember that one old guy the monkey and peewee guy he was old he did some nasty shit that's true and the one yeah that is part that bothers me is like i get that like he's saying i didn't need it i wanted the money okay he doesn't need the money now is he you know he started all these behind the scene businesses because obviously he gets bored and he's probably smart so and I think he sees money as power. Yeah. So and controlling others. Yeah. Hopefully he gets into like the stock market. <laughs> Just Let's leave hope. it at that. Let him become a wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. All right. What you got? I'm excited. You did yes. a history thing too. I know. And there's a connection between our topics. We love connections. I have to minimize us so I can put anything. <gasps> Never also, minimize us. I'm having a, <laughs> a bit of heat stroke at the moment. So. Are you? I'm in air conditioning. Uh, well, I'm, and then I'm wearing the sweater and it's really hot in here. It's supposed to thunderstorm. So it's like that it's like, like oppressive heat, that heavy heat. That humidity heat. Oh my gosh, I just yeah. <laughs> looked the other way. I forgot that I had his giant old 70-year-old face staring at me. Ugh. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. Okay, this is something I'd never heard about. I started on one topic. You know how sometimes one topic leads to another and suddenly you're like, you've lost interest in the Snowballs. original topic. And yeah. like the fourth topic in, you're like, this is it. Yes. So that was what happened to me. I'm going to discuss. We need to create China. names for this. We should, yeah. we, we need to just, I won't say too much and give away too much and give someone else our idea. But our terminology is snowballing. That's is it snowballing? I just made it up. Or is it going into the vortex? Wow. <laughs> which is complex and captivating. It just made me think about our our tourist book we still haven't written. Like no, our, so many our, unfinished projects. Our rules to live by. It's coming. It's bread, coming, people. Bread, sarcasm, and isolation. I'm real. You look. I'll do it. I can do it. You got a nice sheen. Zoom is giving you a nice summer heat sheen. I'm going to discuss the Chinese massacre at Deep Creek of 1887, which I had never heard of, as I'm sure I haven't heard of most people. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of Hell's Canyon? No. It's a 10-mile-wide canyon located along the border of eastern Oregon, eastern Washington, and western Idaho. So it's like right there where the three states come together. Mm -hmm. 
Hell's Canyon is North America's deepest river gorge at 7,993 feet. It's a very deep. It was carved out by the waters of the Snake River, which you've heard of the Snake River, right? Yes, I have. Okay. And the Snake River flows more than one mile below the canyon's rim. That is a deep ass creek. <laughs> deep ass rim. I mean, imagine you're at the rim, <laughs> standing at the top and the river is a more than a mile down. Like that's far. That, yeah, that reminds me of like maybe some of the like volcano edges. Like when you look down, it's like scary. Hella far. Hella far. Most of the area, you can't even get there by road. So even today, most of the area, you can only get there by boat. Mm. According to Greg Noakes, a former reporter for the Oregonian, who researched and wrote a book on these events called Massacred for Gold, there was a cover-up that lasted over 100 years until 1995, when a package of documents was found in a safe by a Wallowa County clerk. And the documents told all the details and had all the facts describing this massacre, this Chinese massacre at Deep Creek. And, and this is why I was like mining for gold or whatever I said, gold miners, uh, because our topics are linked in that yes. way. Chinese immigration to the U.S. significantly increased during the California gold rush in 1848. So many Chinese peasants left China in hopes of finding work internationally. And, you know, there was a lot of misfortune going on in China at that time. There was wars, there was the civil disorders, there was floods, there was famines, there was droughts. And so earning a living and supporting your family in China was really difficult. So men traveled from China overseas and were following these dreams of gold. So over in China, they would hear, you know, go to America, the streets are paved with gold. <laughs> they haven't heard of the prairie Prairie, what did it? Prairie oh madness. Prairie madness. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so there were some Chinese-owned U.S.-based companies, such as the Sam Yep Company, which was in San Francisco's Chinatown. Mm. And these companies would pay the way for these these Chinese men to travel. And then when the men earned money over in the U.S., then they would pay the company back. So it was lucrative for these companies. Mm -hmm. to support bringing workers over here. Many Chinese immigrants came to the US and at this time for jobs building the Transcontinental Railroad. So you, you may have heard that you yes. know, railroads were, were built by the Chinese or they came over to mine gold. Mm. But by the second half, like late, cutting later in the in the 1800s, these types of jobs started to become more scarce and things started to get more competitive and many laborers, um, both white and Asian uh, Chinese were unemployed and searching for work. So by 1880, there were 10, 
thousand Chinese recorded as being in Oregon. Wow. And they faced extreme discrimination and violence. Chinese immigrants at the time commonly accepted lower wages than the white men for doing the same jobs. And so mining and railroad companies would hire them over the white men. And this really exacerbated existing prejudice against the Chinese laborers. And they were perceived as taking jobs away from white men. But the companies preferred to hire the Chinese men for three reasons. One, they said that they worked harder um, and they had no interest in unionizing and they worked for lower wages. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with the unionizing threats, you know, whole crews could just walk off the job, you know, in support of um, whatever cause they were trying to meet. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1882, the U.S. government passed the Chinese Exclusion Act, which prohibited Chinese from entering the country. Hmm. This was supposed to go for 10 years, but it kept getting uh, reapproved and reapproved and reapproved. And it was only repealed when the Chinese became our ally in World War II. Okay. So in like 1943. So Mm -hmm. it lasted all that time. And this act is regarded as the very first US act to prevent all people of a race from immigrating to the US. Wow. And this was implemented out of the US government fears that Chinese workers were outperforming local workers. And this act even more increased hostility towards Chinese people. So Chinese areas were burned, People were shot, people were hung. And 1885 to 1887 were the worst years for Chinese in America. Um, There were headlines in the newspapers like, Chinese, no, no, no. You know, it it was rampant, it was pervasive, it was blatant fear, discrimination hostility it was just open hostility towards these Chinese workers who are just like trying to get by to survive with their families and working within a system that existed you know there was space for it Mm -hmm. in October of 1885 so I wanted to touch on some local stuff here the mayor of Tacoma Washington yeah put up flyers that said the Chinese must go and called wow. for people to turn out for a mass meeting. In what's known as the Tacoma Riot, a mob that was made up of police, political leaders, and businessmen went and rounded up the Chinese people, took them to the railroad station, and forced them on a train to Portland. Mm. So, Portland during this time was a sanctuary it was a safe space for Chinese people interesting yeah I had no idea so in in Tacoma all the structures all the buildings in the Chinese community were destroyed they were torn to the ground and then the Tacoma riot was used as an example 
as an example all across the U.S. for how cities could get rid of the Chinese problem in their mm. town. Like this is what all you have to do: get a mob, round them up, put them on a train, get rid of them, burn burn their buildings to the ground. In what's called the Rock Springs Massacre, which was also in 1885 in Wyoming, there was a riot and then a massacre of Chinese miners by white miners who again were threatened. They felt their jobs were threatened by the Chinese men. Um, mm -hmm. They thought that the Chinese men were taking their jobs. So when the riot ended, at least 28 Chinese miners were dead and 15 were injured. And then the rioters also burned 78 Chinese homes. Yikes. So even though Portland was a sanctuary city um, of sorts. I don't think it was official or anything, but mm -hmm. um, historically it, it was a place where people could exist and not be, you know, forcibly put on a train and your house burned down. Oregon law at the time stated, no Chinaman, not a resident of the state at the adoption of this constitution shall ever hold real estate of mining claims or work any mining claim therein. So there was really a lot of laws put in place to prevent the these Chinese workers and Chinese families um, from being successful and experiencing success. But still sometimes if a mine had, was already worked by a white person, if they put it then for sale, like they thought it was done, a Chinese person could come in and buy that. And interestingly, they would find more gold in those abandoned mines afterwards than had been found originally. At first, the Chinatowns, as they were called, had only men because the wives weren't allowed into the US. So there's a little bit of some nefarious stuff going on in these Chinatowns. There was gambling places, there was prostitution, there was, you know, some opium dens. Um, so that did give some, you know, credibility to, okay, we, you know, we need to shut this down. But eventually families started to move in. And so the families themselves were like, okay, we need to clean this area up, make it family friendly. The Chinese were restricted where they could live and work. And so they would band together. And that's part of why these Chinatowns grew up, you know, people supporting each other and, you know, being in an area where you could have your language spoken, you could understand it, you could have stores that sold food that you're familiar with. Um, so even with all of this, the, these Chinese people were able to be successful and find some success in business. Did you know Spokane used to have a Chinatown? You're muted, Macy. Why are you muted during our podcast? Gosh, I've been muted the whole time. It's probably that the kitten has walked across the keyboard several <laughs> times. <laughs> sure. Blame it on little nugs. I've been adding 
great minimal encouragers this whole time. I didn't even know you were you were like talking. <laughs> I was. I was adding little little bits. But you seem like oh, you're on a good flow, but obviously it's because you were like, she's not talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I better just <laughs> fill in all these gaps. <laughs> Sorry, I'm here. I'm listening. So down on the east end of downtown, there was. So, a yes, I know. I had no idea. Yeah, there was actually a Chinatown. I've seen photos at the museum. Interesting. And then this later down there at the other end was called Japanese Alley because the mm. Japanese population grew to 1,000. So it grew wow. quite big. And there was all these like, you can look at the photos, like cool businesses. And it was like very nice. So let's talk about the Chinese massacre at Deep Creek. Okay. Creek. The individuals who were massacred likely came before the 1882 act, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act that said nobody could move here from China. Yeah. And there were what was called gold rush holdouts. So people that had come before the act mm -hmm. and were just holding on really like, you know, let we're going to find mm -hmm. this gold. So I think, you know, it originally started in California and then people started moving more north and more a little bit northeast, mm -hmm. which is where Deep Creek is. And, and, you know, that's that's what it's like. You know, you're looking for gold. You, find, you can't find it. You're going to keep looking. You're going to start mm -hmm. migrating farther and further. In late May of 1887, around... 31 to 34 Chinese laborers were mining gold in an isolated part of Northeast Oregon when the entire group was gunned down and killed by a white gang of horse thieves. What? And this event is considered one of the deadliest attacks against Chinese Americans in U.S. history. And nobody's heard of it. I hadn't mm -mm. heard of it. Look at us, shining a light in dark places. That's what we do. Despite rising hostility, many Chinese immigrants stayed in the Western territories of the US and continued to mine. This group in question worked for the Sam Yep Company. So that was that company out of Chinatown, yeah. San Francisco. And the miners were based in Lewiston which mm -hmm. is like an hour and a half from where we live. I just noticed you're not wearing your headset. Oh, do I need it? It's too I don't late. Know. It's too late. I just, I heard, I caught a little echo and that, that's all. I've totally forgot. <laughs> it's that too late now. Echo. Do you know what that was? I was still what? walking by my window. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yes, no, that's, that. yeah. <laughs> Next time. So you can still feel podcasty. I know. I totally forgot. It's the heat stroke. <laughs> do you have their mic set up even? No, I have nothing. I wasn't. What do you mean? You don't have it. your. I totally forgot. You're not here. Like the whole. What are you doing? Up. What are you doing? I'm just sitting in my room with a glass of wine, just talking this to is... you, just chatting you up on the Zoom. Okay. Well, when this sounds like trash, it's not my fault. It's my fault. I'll my do fault my best too. to clean up the trash. Do you see how sweaty trash. I am? Like, I'm literally just like sweaty. <laughs> Remember earlier and I was like, oh, I really miss being there. I feel a little okay about it right now. No, at first this was like one of those like nice glows. The sheen is turning into a squelter. <laughs> yes, it's, it's losing its beauty appeal. So Lewiston, we've all been there. Yes. 
in May, they sailed approximately 65 miles upstream on the Snake River. So remember the river is over a mile below the, the, the rim of this canyon and they're going upstream. So that means they have to have work, like men on the sides pulling the boats with ropes, crawling uh. over all this rock. And these are steep cliffs. This is, this is mountain goat territory. I just heard running. Was that Stella? That was Stella. Or not? It's, it was like perfect timing with like, this is mountain goat territory. <laughs> so they worked their asses off to yeah, go find a place to mine gold. So they set up camp and were looking for flower gold, a fine powdery form of gold that can be found floating on the water, which I'd never heard of flower gold. I have never heard of that either. I want to find gold floating on the water. Me <laughs> too. This is an incredibly remote area, very difficult to access. Um, you can only get there by boat, and then you have to do a strenuous hike. But, and this place that they're at is 2,000 feet deeper than the Grand Canyon. Dang. So Hell's Canyon is the and deepest canyon and dangerous, in North I'm America. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's sheer plunging cliffs, this fast river. And so they hoped, you know, getting out of town, they're going to able to find gold, but also to escape anti-Chinese sentiment. Mm-hmm. However, that was not to be the case. So it's estimated that between 31 and 34 men were at the camp. Um, And so even though, you know, from the river, it's difficult to access, if you're at higher vantage points around the cove, you could see them. And Mm -hmm. so that's what that uh, historians think happened, that Mm. this gang of seven horse thieves, yeah, all white men from nearby Wallowa County ambushed the cold Chinese gold miners at their camp over the course of two days. So it took two days for them to find everybody and shoot and kill them. Um, Because I imagine people were hiding. Mm -hmm. The gang was led by Bruce Evans and also included Titus Canfield, Frank Vaughn, Robert McMillan, Hezekiah Hughes, Hiram Maynard, and Homer LaRue. So there's a lot of old time names in there <laughs> homer homer Hiram, titus Ezekiel. yeah using high powered powered rifles the gang shot every one of the chinese laborers at deep creek one of the miners was able to escape initially but the horse thieves chased him down and bludgeoned him to death with a rock jeez After too much yeah the entire group the horse thieves mutilated their bodies and dumped them into the Snake River. That's then they horrible. stole their gold and burned their camp to the ground. <sighs> Nobody might have known anything except two weeks later, a few of the bodies of the miners washed ashore at Lewiston. And the following month, another group of Chinese miners discovered the site of the massacre with, and presented even more evidence of the bloodshed to the local authorities in Lewiston. Mm-hmm. 
So local officials in Lewiston sort of investigated, but really spent minimal time and resources on on this. Yeah. As we've seen, you know, another doesn't shock me stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where minorities involved sometimes the resources aren't invested. It's not seen as a priority. So the miners employer, the such a hot garbage. It is demon hot, flaming garbage. <laughs> the Sam Yup company hired a local person to look into the incident. And local judge Joseph K. Vincent was hired to conduct an investigation. No one was sure who to blame for the murders. As an article at the time in the Lebanon Express suggests, quote, Opinion is divided as to the authorship of the blood deed, but the whites, the reds, and the yellows are suspected. More than likely, it was the whites who look with an evil eye upon Chinese intrusion on, in American mines. The American miner kicks hard at the Chinese miner, the newspaper read. Hmm. Some media coverage tried to blame the Chinese victims. In an 1887 (laughs) article in the San Bernardino Daily Courier, it said that the public had every reason to believe the miners had been murdered by their own countrymen, not by whites or Indians, as was first supposed. Okay. Yeah. Sure. White newspaper writers. (laughs) (laughs) However... The investigator concluded that a band of local horse thieves was responsible for the massacre. He also found that 10 of the Chinese miners were originally um, from an area near Canton City. So he was able to find their origins and help, you know, learn their names and where Mm. they came from. That's good. So we only know the names of those that were washed ashore, which was only 10 people Hmm. the other bodies we don't know um maybe animals maybe they washed all the way out to the pacific ocean although vincent had broadly identified the perpetrators of the massacre as white male horse thieves it wasn't until the next year when there was some kind of break in the case because nobody's investigating this nobody cares (laughs) so it takes a year later (laughs) yeah And what happened was Frank Vaughn, one of the horse thieves, confessed to his involvement in the crime um, and and agreed to be a witness for the state. So he was gonna confess so that he wouldn't get a sentence or get a reduced sentence. Later that year, a grand jury indicted the six other Wallowa County men, but it turned out that one of them, McMillan was only 15. Mm -hmm. So they were indicted for murder. But after that, three of them took off and were never seen again. Some accounts from the Wallowa County settlers suggested that they disappeared with some of the gold and buried the rest, but this couldn't be confirmed. An Enterprise Oregon jury. (laughs) Oh, I have a break in. Sky, can you grab Stella? (laughs) Hi, Stella. She hasn't seen me in a while. I have to lock my door. (laughs) I would have her come on camera, but she's buck naked. 
Oh, good point. Let's not do that. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have grabbed her. <laughs> uh, so there was, uh, even though Vaughn had testified, there was a two-day trial, super long. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone was considered not guilty. Oh, A local rancher <laughs> who attended the trial commented, I guess if they had killed 31 white men, something would have been done about it. But none of the jury knew the Chinamen or cared about it much. So they turned them in loose. So nobody was ever punished for massacring uh, possibly 34 men for no reason. Well, and... Like you mentioned on um, my topic too, like as victims, like how important victim statements are and families. And so without any of that, like it loses gusto in court or any we gusto. We need the gusto. Mm-hmm. So the massacre was forgotten. So other than an 1891 confession from the teenager's father that was written on behalf of his son, the 1887 massacre of the Chinese miners in Deep Creek at Hell's Canyon was forgotten until 1995, when the Wallowa County clerk, Charlotte, Charlotte McIver, found a set of files in a safe that had been donated to the county museum. Mm-hmm. So they were put in, they were hidden in there. Somebody yeah, stuck yeah. Them away so they wouldn't be in the official mm-hmm. records area. They were meant to be forgotten forever. So these files revealed all the detailed information of the massacre. In an interview with the Associated Press that year that those files were found, Ben Boswell, a Wallowa, not Wallowa, (laughs) a Wallowa County court judge said, the records were more than just lost. They seemed to have been hidden. Somebody intentionally tried to keep the story from happening. Somebody intentionally caused people to forget. So nobody was ever held accountable. That's for that's crime. called lying. Will anyone just say that? <laughs> it sounds like these were intentionally left hidden. Someone lied. Someone like that's a crime. Somebody intentionally itself. took the files and put them in the safe and got rid of the safe. That's which is a crime. Is. Yeah. <laughs> Oops, someone forgot these in the wrong place. So nobody was held accountable for this crime ever. Ever. But, but I've never been to Wallowa. The are, name you saying, of, are you saying Wallowa or Wallowa? Wallowa. Wallowa. Me neither. Wallowa. It's like this town in the very top corner of Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Mm-mm. Top eastern corner. But the name of one of the murderers is currently listed on a monument, a monument in Wallowa as an early pioneer. So a place of honor. So if I do go to Wallowa, I'm going to go find that monument. Yeah, you are. And piss all around it. <laughs> allegedly, it allegedly. 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 I'm just, you know, it's just, <laughs> that was a poem. That we're, I just art, we're artists. You know, this is for entertainment purposes only. Because Allegedly. the names of the 10 victims were written down in English, important information such as their family name and village of origin was lost. 
The researchers have been unable to locate any living relatives of the victims. So sad. Mm -hmm. A group raised money to put up a permanent memorial to those who had died. It included the names of the 10 miners whose bodies washed ashore in Lewiston. The wording is in English, Chinese, and Nez Perce. So they put the memorial up actually at mm-hmm. the remote location, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So you can, I guess, take a, like they do tours and you mm-hmm. can hop on a jet boat Ooh. <laughs> and be driven up the Snake River and go to this place. I mean, I'm honestly interested. Because <laughs> of a jet boat. I'm interested in a jet boat. I'm always interested in a remote memorial. Sure. We like remote places and memorials (laughs) the wording on the monument is in english chinese and nez pierce because that the land Mm -hmm. was traditionally nez pierce land traditional lands at the time of the dedication and i watched video of this and it gave me goosebumps there was a big gust of wind that came over the hillside And some believe this was the restless spirits who were departing this place Mm -hmm. and showing their gratitude for finally telling their story. And it was cool. Like I was watching the video and all of a sudden this big wind did come over the ridge. And we've talked about how, you know, Native Americans, like the view of the wind is it is spirits. Mm -hmm. And I've had, you know, some, some personal spirituals um stories that have happened with wind so you know that was like i said the biggest massacre of chinese americans in u.s history Mm. um i think i'll sum up by saying that there's been a rise in anti-asian american sentiment since COVID 19 because people falsely and stupidly blame Chinese people for COVID and they're mm-hmm. like it's on the record that there's been a rise in hate crimes across the country mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's <sighs> well it's interesting how many things we just don't we were never taught about um because who writes the history books Oh yeah, no, and I'm I like I loved my history classes. So that history is like one of my favorites. I was like one of those avid note takers in high school. I love soaking up as much as I can. And now as an adult, I just I almost feel bitter about it. Like I invested a lot of time in those notes and <laughs> and you gave me hot garbage to go off of. Um, I would have liked the full unscripted, please. Mm-hmm. Please. Like, and I'm sure my history was worse than your history. I mean, I'm sure yeah, yours yeah. was trying to be a little bit more inclusive. Maybe. But mine full on just glossed over any harm to the Native Americans whatsoever. Yeah, I, I remember mean, it was all Columbus, Columbus, Columbus. Well, know? and being from, um, you know, Snohomish, Washington originally, like we had a ton, like way too much time was spent on the Oregon Trail and, you know, <laughs> Sacagawea. I know that's not how you actually say it. Um, uh, Lewis and Clark, like way too much time was spent on that one thing. 
and so much else was just not talked about. I got a lot of Fra Junipero Serra, which was like uh, a missionary. Like we went on a field trip to go see his statue, which Mm -hmm. he's up on the hill pointing at the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) Yeah, it's so weird. Like, you know, that that's great that you established all these missions and brought religion to people. But maybe not everybody wanted that religion, you know? Yeah, but it's just interesting how, about. like, where you get your education, like, slants how yes. what they teach you. And which it shouldn't is so be true. that way. There should be no. big T truth, not all these little tiny yeah. T's everywhere. Until next time. Seek out your own big T truth. And, and if you're going to bury the truth, you better use more soil and hard rocks. Freaking burn it. Oh, I no, I'm talking about people in a van. Oh, no, don't. No, don't burn people. <laughs> I wanted to show you really quickly just to close my new mouse pad, which is Donkey Kong. So Donkey Kong's always my character mm. when I play. Okay, now get ready for it. Oh, look at that big old butt. Is that a BBL? It's a DC butt. <laughs> oh, it's 3D. Oh, is that like to support your wrist? Is it ergonomic? Yes. Ergonomic (laughs) ass cheeks. I love it. (laughs) Donkey Kong says no, no. Donkey Kong. Bye.